0: All right, we're already live. Um, sorry, everybody, for the postponement. It's my bad. I got stuck in traffic. We're pretty much going to cover, I think, the, the biggest part of it is Miami week, obviously. Um, secondly, uh, we'll talk about, I don't want to say letdown, but the expected, unexpected causes of the loss to NC State. Yeah. We'll also go over uh, some injury updates. Um, we'll also talk about the recruits. I know for sure that are going to be at the Miami game. It has been a tough, tough week for myself. I hope everybody else's week is going better. I think it's only Tuesday. So I feel like in the past two days, yesterday was 13 hours. Today was 14 hours. So it's been a long week already. Um Taylor, I I was going to go in order as far as start with the NC State game, but I think I'm going to go from the most relevant to the past tense. So, injury okay. update wise, um, everybody that was asking me about Emmett Rice, you know, he had posted that he would be back 11, 9, or whatever it was, um, and the. Proposed depth chart, how are you going to look at it? it, doesn't have him on it. That doesn't mean anything, um, obviously. Um, I'm in the 99 percentile that he'll play in that game. How much, I don't know. Because uh, you'd have to think, is he game ready? He hasn't played all year.
1: Yeah, because Norvell said it in his media session. Like he, he was hopeful that he would play. But like you said, the projected depth chart – really doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, it, it could indicate that he doesn't play. But as we saw with Hamza Nazruddin, you know, from last season, there was a situation where he didn't play for several times and he was listed on that projected depth chart. So, I mean, that means something per se, but it really doesn't. Um, it's all about conditioning and how everything is going to play out for Rice. That's going to be the biggest thing. I know that he's wanting to circle this on his calendar because he is from that Miami area. He wants to play, you know, against his hometown team, and he wants to get that uh, position group going. The linebacker position as a whole has not really been great, Um, and you want to see more production from there. Can he play in this game? Yes, but will it probably be on a limited basis uh, until probably the the Boston College game? And I think when you see him at his full strength, it will probably be Florida uh, per se. I think that would probably be the best estimate to, to get where he is right now.
0: But he did practice, so that's good. Yeah, I think this was like – I think this week was the first time he wasn't really limited in practice. So uh, so to speak of like how – he was extremely limited uh, the week previous to this one, and I want to say that he was even more so the UMass week and then, yeah. So um, I'm obviously ready for him to be on the field. I think everybody that's been waiting on him is ready for him to be on the field, but Mm – um, there has actually started to be talk about a medical redshirt. Um, I still don't know that he would actually get it, but
1: I personally don't think he'll qualify for it. And personally, I don't really think he wants to go through that. I, I pretty much think that he wants to get to a situation where it could be a situation where he's going to be an undrafted NFL, you know, player or possibly late round, sixth or seventh round that you're thinking about. Yes, I mean there has been a couple of Florida State players that really haven't produced as well, and they've been in the fourth and fifth round. Um, you know, you even saw with Ham- Hampson Nazardine, You know, a lot of NFL scouts were really impressed on how he was able to bounce back later in the season, and it really spoke to how much his character was, and you could really bank that on him being a, a better locker room guy. Um, and the Jets took a chance on him, so you got to figure out what uh, Emmett Rice does well. He tackles very well in space. He's a very veteran leader. And I, I personally think that he would rather play these last three games than just sit out and hope for the best for
0: a medical redshirt because those medical redshirts are hard to come by. So, Yeah, it's almost you – know, some players have gotten them two or – I want to say two times, but yeah. I know – but it, it's extremely difficult. And I personally don't think he would want to go through it myself. But obviously, when yeah. people ask um, him – isn't, isn't he a six round or a six-year senior? Or a six-year yeah. player, so yeah. would
1: he really want to play that last year? Maybe not. Maybe so. I mean, this I, I, is already icing on the cake as it is playing this season for him. So yeah,
0: I mean, I, I just wish that he, you know, hopefully his injury stopped here uh, in college, and once he does get in the NFL, yes. it, it's a lot less for him because uh, when he was on the field for us, obviously he's he's definitely a talent worth. Being on the field, just got to mm-hmm. keep it healthy. Um, the other one that I was getting asked the most about was obviously mm-hmm. Jordan Travis. Uh, yes, um, he was not limited at practice today. Um, he's full fledged ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I started getting people ask me, "Well, how sick was he Saturday? Did he just, you know, decide not to do?" Look, he didn't make the decision not to play Saturday. Let's mm-hmm. we'll go ahead and put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was informed by the medical staff that he shouldn't, and then he was informed by the coaches that he shouldn't. Um, obviously, everybody wanted to see him play. Obviously, he wanted to play. But what we want and what we get is two different things, especially when it comes down to, you know, you don't want to spread it worse than it is or get worse yourself. Um, it is important for you to, to actually go through the yeah. rehab process Purposes of just the flu. I mean, it's extremely dehydrating. So, you know, and I won't
1: get too much into it because it's kind of his own privacy and I don't really want to regulate any health policies or anything like that. But, you know, he wasn't in practice on Tuesday. So, you know, throughout that week and going throughout the the rest of the week and everything, you you thought there may be a chance there were a couple guys on the team that came down on Tuesday and Wednesday and were able to come back on Saturday, but his symptoms were a little bit more severe. You know, a lot of times with the flu, you're unable to kind of breathe as much as you would like. A lot of times you're congested. A lot of times also you're very viral. So, you know, of course, you spread a lot. You're contagious. You're going to be able to get the whole team contagious at that point. So when you come into next week and you're going into this critical Miami week that you're really looking forward to having a bunch of players that are coming in, it's, you know, all eyes are on you at 2.30 or 3.30 Eastern time on ESPN, you're, you're looking at those primetime games, you're, you're having a lot of fans in the stands and you're trying to build some kind of momentum for the rest of the season, and if you have your starting quarterback back in for this game, and you had him for last game, but you're having the whole team basically sit out because of you know different flu symptoms and everything like that, is it really worth taking a risk for them to have a chance against an NC State team that actually does really well against the run as I'll kind of uh, kind of indicate a little bit later, but I just don't know if that's really the risk that Coach Norvell really wants to take in this in this uh, kind of approach. And I think that was a smart move to kind of limit Travis on what he can do. And I think the medical staff did a tremendous job in trying to protect him and protect his other teammates as well. I think that's the best case scenario for Florida State going forward, get him as healthy as you can, let him condition throughout. Norvell Central joined.
0: Well, I lost him for a second, but he's already back. So I'll go ahead and put him back. Sorry about that. I don't know why I kicked you out. God, it's all
1: good. But that's it, man. I, I just think that is the smart move for uh, Jordan Travis to be set out last game because of his severe flu symptoms. And coming from someone that's had the flu, uh, it's not fun. Uh, you know, you can't breathe as well, uh, sore throat. It's just very, very contagious. So it's it's best
0: case scenario, especially in the world we live in with COVID right now. So <clears throat> I'm going to kind of – um go off of what whomever this was on Facebook that asked but do do I think that Florida State's defense can stop Miami's pass uh attack right now and blah 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 look this game I wouldn't have said this last week but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it this week this game is going to come down to who makes the least amount of mistakes um In my opinion because they're going to attack our weakness because their their strength is passing obviously we don't cover the pass great but we're going to attack their weakness which is they don't they don't stop the run very well at all um if at all um so i think it's going to go back and forth so then you start winning home advantage then you start winning the crowd then you start winning the critical third downs um the main thing that florida state has to do if you do not get positive yards on first and second down you might as well, you, you just give up because we can't do what we what we did against Clemson, and we can't do what we did against NC State, where it's first and whatever. I mean, at one point in the game, we were at fourth and thirty. Uh, obviously, we were going to punt regardless, but it ended up being fourth and thirty. That's like that's almost half the football field. That's it's uh, it's embarrassing in my opinion. Um, so you can't do that against a. Uh, uh, a high strung offense, this, this quarterback came in. If I'm not mistaken, he was third string. Am am, am I right?
1: Yeah. Technically first, you know, like second or third string, it kind of depends on how you view uh, Jake Garcia. Depends on how that situation goes. And I don't think they're super comfortable with him going forward. I definitely think Van Dyke is a better quarterback. I mean, he's, I'm not going to say he set the world on fire because he's, he's done it pretty good job for the most part i mean it's not been perfect but it's been better than what you expected i mean he's looking at right now you you got a 63 percent completion percentage 15 touchdowns four interceptions 1877 yards you know their last three games i know they had a winning streak so you know they they beat a bad georgia tech team barely by three points you know you turn around and and you have that Pittsburgh game that you won by four, and then you turn around and beat NC State by one, which NC State really blew that game. It should have been a situation where Miami was in a you know they they weren't tackling well, they weren't doing a whole lot better a, as an offense, and they kind of just let that game slip away. So I mean, in reality, their last five games, they're three and two. Uh, their combined uh, margin of victory or just game in general. I mean, they only combine – it's 13-point deficit between those five games. So it's not like – I mean, it's five nail bitters. You know, it can go either way. And I think that's part of the reason also why Vegas is picking uh, Miami to only win by two and a half in this game. Even though they have kind of a hot hand, we're kind of faltering a little bit. We're trying to find our identity back again uh, after two close games. And you're trying to figure out what you have in this offense. And it's hard to say. I mean – you know, we talked about – we're going to talk about a little bit about the NC State game, but just how Mackenzie Milton was just kind of incapable of, of capitalizing on on different things in this offense and how he just wasn't really able to string things together. And Jordan Travis really was that missing piece in this offense. And it's just – you wonder what's going to happen from now on in the, in the rest of the season because this is kind of – if you're wanting to get to bowl eligibility – and get to that goal that you want to get to, you know, you're three and six right now. You're having to string together three straight wins against, you know, Miami coming up, a high-powered offense coming up, uh, winning three straight. You turn around, you play a Boston College team that has their quarterback back, uh, Phil Djokovic, uh, from that hand injury. And then you also turn around and have a struggling Florida team that you're hoping to capitalize off on. And you kind of figure out where are we going to get these three wins? And if not, you know, what, what's going to happen uh, to the morale of this team if another loss comes before that Florida game?
0: Yeah, my thing is the reason I think that all three of these games are extremely winnable, especially if everyone's healthy. Yeah. Um, our strength, again, on offense for us to score is to run the ball, whether it be JT, Ward, um, Corbin. Um Miami is a great team to start that off on so you can get the rust out because I would say out of the three uh, run defenses that we're going to play, uh, they're the worst. Um, so I think we'll get a lot of the rust out with them as far as JT being out and that we're not being productive over the past two weeks running the ball. Um, so I think this is a perfect game for us to get the rust out and really hammer down what we know what we're going to do. Uh Secondly, Boston College doesn't have a great run defense, so we'll be able to run the ball yeah. against
1: them. Yeah. It,
0: at that point, it's about outscoring them because they do have their starting quarterback back. Uh, and you all you can see what happens when you don't have your starting quarterback. Boston College started all kind of hot. Uh, people were kind of, I don't want to say mm-hmm. surprised, but in, in a way surprised at how well they were doing starting off. They mm-hmm. lose their starting QB, and then they took the dive that everybody expected. Uh, well, now they have him back. Now, how you know is he a hundred percent? Is he you know eighty? We don't know yet. Um, but I can assure you, it's going to be a home environment for him. Um, and we'll see. But we're going to have to outscore them because I think it, it could go. I think the last three games could be a hell of a shootout. To be completely honest, um, yeah, it does help though that
1: we're not playing Boston College at night. We're playing them at a noon game, so that does help in terms of just morale, how maybe if we go into Chapel Hill or Chapel Hill, Chestnut Hill, and we go to a situation where, you know, we go into that noon game, they're a little bit sluggish early on in their offensive game plan, and kind of see how we can kind of take advantage. I mean, Florida State's done a decent job at stopping the run, like you talked about, and how we can be able to kind of extend their pass pace a little bit. Maybe Jerry and Jones can play a little bit better. We'll talk about him a little bit later on. Did not have a great performance uh, in this last contest, but Jarvis has done a decent job this season. He's really kind of come on strong, and you're kind of hoping that, you know, this Miami game can kind of build some confidence. If we're able to get a win into uh, Boston College. And it certainly helps that it's not a red bandana, uh, red bandana game, and it also helps that it's at noon and not at night, and uh, also that. Jerkovich is kind of a little bit uh, not a hundred percent. He's still kind of getting back into the groove of things. He has a lot of potential and a lot of talent, but will this Florida State offense and specifically this defense really get into a
0: groove? Uh, kind of in these last few games. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I think everybody gets excited for the rival games, mm-hmm. um, but this one, the reason I'm so excited for it is because it's a complete different story than last year, in my opinion. Like, last year we got blown out, and it was garbage. It was ugly. There was just – there's too much to say about last year's game. Um, so, I'm not. This it year – It continually- also
1: helps that uh, Mike Norvell didn't coach in the game. So, I mean, a week of preparation that you didn't have your head coach – and I'm not making excuses because no way, shape, or form should that have been a 52-10 to loss. That should have been at least a little bit closer, maybe two possessions, maybe three possessions the way that we were playing last season – I do not think that Miami, and specifically that Miami team, should be beating us by 42 points.
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, A little bit on the NC State. Um, I don't know if everybody else saw this, especially if you were at the game, you didn't see it, I wouldn't think. But while watching on ACC Network, um, on a particular – even though we scored on the plate – I'm trying to remember where we were. We were like on the, the three or the five, somewhere around there. It was like third and goal, something to that effect. And I think we wildcat is what we went to. In, uh, yeah, Corbin. yeah, Corbin. Yeah. But it, I don't know if everybody else noticed because I did. I got to see it while it was happening. Before <clears> the post <play throat> started, the camera was on Norvell, and he was walking toward the signal callers calling his own signals. And before he could even get finished with the signal calls, they had already called whatever the headset from Dillingham had already said, and there was a, a huge frustration on uh, Norvell's face after it happened. Even though the play worked out, he was—you could still see that he was frustrated. Um, it kind of bothers me. I understand you need to hurry up, and, you know, get your play call in, do do what you got to do. But you had 23 seconds left on the play clock while you got the head coach coming down the field, coming toward. Um, the signal callers, and they're already running the play. Uh, granted, again, the play was successful, but there's times that a head coach, especially uh, when, when you're Norvell, an offensive mind, when he's going to call something, I think they need to figure something out because there was, there was miscommunication on what needed to be done. But uh, needless to say, it wasn't the only time that I've seen frustration out of his face. Um there were definitely some busted coverages uh, versus NC State on defense. Uh, but when you failed to convert on two of the fourth downs on your side of the field. From I'll, deep,
1: I'll definitely get into that one. Uh, yeah.
0: Coming, coming off of definitely a, a hot offense on the other side of the ball. Um, here's my thing. You catch the ball. It's a first down. I mean, it hit Ward like literally dead center of the chest beyond the first down mark. It wasn't. It wasn't tipped. It was. There was no interference. Nothing. Uh, the ball should have been caught. It wasn't. When those fourth down plays are called, obviously it's up to the players to execute. Now, if the play didn't work, then yeah, the bad play call. But when the play works, even though it wasn't executed, you don't really get. I don't. Personally, I don't get mad at the coaches for the play call because mm-hmm. it's fourth down. You just had an onside kick that your own kicker recovered, and that changed the complete morale of what was going on in the game. And it started you out hot the second half. Now you started seeing the morale start going the other way. The momentum was going the other way. I'm going to trust my guys on a fourth down, mm-hmm. and we'll switch the momentum again. I hear a lot of people play field position, play field position. A lot of times you need to play the momentum game. You need to get the momentum back. So I don't hate the fourth down calls, to be completely honest. Um, And it kills me because when they work, you're a hero. When they don't, you've got to be the dumbest person on the planet for calling it. It's it's 50-50 with a lot of fans. I'm I'm just not that person. Uh, Punting the ball away with eight minutes left, yeah, it's potential that you get the ball back. It's also potential they go down and score on you again, regardless of where they get it. I think that's what was waiting to the option personally um, on one in particular. <clears throat> um, the other thing is, is uh, we need wide receivers like Plumber Joe needs to pull his pants up because our wide receivers can't get separation if their life depended on it. Like literally there's zero separation. Um, and I, I'm – It's not hard to cover one guy. Uh, Helton gets covered pretty heavily due to the fact that he's usually the one that gets the big play. Um, I don't want to call out 11 because he's young, but he's got a good-sized body, and separation should not be an issue for him. Uh, Now, this is where I'll take a stab at a wide receiver coach. you got to get your guys' footwork down because I'm seeing them getting their own feet tied up uh that's that's not that's not gonna work so yeah there's some coaching things that need to be done but when you're six two six three whatever he is and your separation is less than a half a yard the ball's not going to get thrown to you it's not going to happen uh quarterbacks don't want to get the ball in step i mean nobody wants to turn the ball over but with that i'm gonna let uh Taylor, take over here in just a second. I'm, I'm going to make a, a different statement about a completely different issue. I'm, I'm getting messages and the kind of – look, this Miami game, which I did not anticipate this whatsoever, I honestly don't think that the coaches or the admin, the staff anticipated it either. Um, for recruits coming that are not going to be on their official visit, Don't take it personal, please, because you're not going to get the attention if it was just a normal weekend and there wasn't two or three official visits this coming weekend. But it's a mess the the amount of the the amount of kids that are coming, uh, that are committed, that are potentially going to commit, uh, that are just visiting for the first time. uh, Please don't take what's about to happen personal. It's just there's very little time to do all what needs to be done uh i'm saying that to a certain few that i've spoke to uh there's one in particular that i'm not worried about at all they're they'll be fine they're great people they don't take things personal but there's one in particular that i'm worried about um i know his dad will get or really his mom and dad will get his head straight but i think it's a bad weekend if you're a, a 2023 or a late potential 2022 recruit that's coming on an unofficial visit just due to the fact of how many kids are coming. I mean, it's great that Travis is coming. It's great that McCall's coming. It's great that all of the, the really high end um, 2022 commits that are coming. It's great. But you got to realize that when those guys show up and when you got a Marvin Jones Jr., one of them, having an official visit. The attention is going to be on the present, not the future. As unfortunate as that is, it's it, you would you would want the same treatment if if it's next year and you're on your official visit. You don't want to see them scattering off, giving everybody else attention when you're supposed to be the guy that gets it.
1: Yeah, even a uh, class of twenty three five star receiver Jalen Brown. He's he actually told me that he was coming as well. So even that elite class of twenty three prospect. I mean, it's a can't miss prospect. Like from Gulliver Prep in uh, Miami. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of elite kids there.
0: Yes. Um, I mean, you, you got – I believe that Tolan kid from LSU is going to come back. I believe um, – Yeah, he's supposed to go to Tennessee this weekend, I think. Well, it might be somebody else. It, it, my thing is, is the ones, the ones that are coming, um, like I know Chris Parsons coming. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. If AJ Duffy is there, which I highly anticipate he will be, yeah, uh, I don't want him to feel like he's being second doored either or uh, redheaded stepchild in that situation. Yeah. You, you just got to understand, guys. There is a shit ton of y'all coming, and right now, priority is twenty twenty two. I, I personally had have he's still coming, Jay Zel Riley coming, which we've had on here a couple times he's the one I'm not worried about. I don't, he don't he won't take nothing personal and he'll be fine. But I still want him to know the same thing. Like this isn't personal. It's, it's not that someone doesn't want you. It's not that it's not an an interest there. It's the fact of they're going to be spread extremely thin already with what's coming. So buckle down and know, uh, you're going to have a hell of a game experience. I can tell you that. Um, and and i would like i would like the guys that are coming that it's not their official visit watch how the other guy's official visit goes that's that's what i want you to pay attention to think a little bit less about yourself saturday because it's about a couple other people um which your time will come so again just don't take it personal uh another thing that i'm gonna bring up uh I'm getting asked, are we going to do the same thing that Florida just did? Are we going to get rid of position coaches? Are we going to get rid of coordinators? I don't, hell, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think, you know, because
1: I've, I've alluded to this a little bit before, a lot of fans scapegoat to a guy like uh, Adam Fuller, for example, a defense coordinator. The defensive unit has not been the problem this season. It has literally been inconsistencies from several different position groups on offense and defense and special teams side of the ball. It's it's This team is not uh, something that can overcome a lot of deficits as you've seen this season. Uh, once you saw, and I'll kind of allude to this a little bit later, the NC State game, we got down seven points. And we had the audacity to go forward on fourth down in that situation because we knew there really wasn't a situation where we could really bounce back from another drive killer. And, you know, NC State can drive down the field and score 14 points, and the ball game is essentially over because we just don't have that necessary skill set. It's not a a shot on the players. It's more just so we don't really have the talent right now. The depth's not there. Yeah, and you look at it, it's even like we talked about this before with, you know, Jimbo Fishery stopped recruiting. So officially – that class was kind of a wash. He, he didn't really develop anybody, he didn't really recruit much. Taggart comes in, has a transition class. You know, we saw how that transition class played uh, out in the uh, 2018 class. We turn around, he has his normal class in 2019, but then Coach Taggart gets fired. Mike Norvell comes into the situation in 2020. You're seeing with guys like Chuba Purdy that just uh, announced his transfer out of the program, you're seeing how that transition class plays out. How will this 21 class that he is a little bit more high on and you see guys like Travis Hunter, Sam McCall, different guys like that, how they're going to come into the program and make a difference. This is all about stoppiling talent. This is all about being able to consistently have that coach there that can you can say, hey, he's going to be there for the foreseeable future regardless. I know some of you may not like Chris Marv, but I do think he is a tremendous evaluator of talent. I do think that he is a better players coach and on-field on coach more than anything. Uh, you can say what you want to about the recruiting uh, at the linebacker position, but I do think it's more of a collective effort per se. I don't really think it's more so you can point to the finger and say, hey, this position group is not doing what our position coach is not doing, what they're supposed to. So let's blame them for the, the efforts that – their position is not really doing. It's not really like that. These coaches have different regions that they have to satisfy. They have different, you know, needs that they have to satisfy as well. So there's different things that you can focus on with different coaches, and it shouldn't all be a blame game for every single thing that you do. You know, respect that these coaches have three more games to prove themselves. They have three more games to really succeed and get into their system, and some of these occur. Uh, recruits that you have you know we even had omar graham jr on before you know he talks about his relationship with chris mark what would happen if chris mark gets fired from this university and i'm not saying omar graham jr is decommitting because he has definitely said that he is 100 percent locked into florida state no matter what but i will say how does that do for the morale of the team that is so comfortable with the position coach and you share in the same vision as everybody else you know travis hunter talks about his relationship with marcus woodson how would that relationship go as Marcus Wilson goes somewhere else? What would happen if Alex Atkins takes a head coaching job somewhere else or an offensive coordinator job somewhere else? What would happen in the morale of this team and the morale of these recruits? And people just have to understand that more to really get the effect of what happens with these coaches if they were able to be able to let go. And would Florida State really take a step back if they, if they hit the reset button on some of these coaches and you're really stuck in the same situation with just a different coaching staff?
0: Yeah, Um, I'm going to kind of ask you to confirm these names for me so I know one way or the other. Um, Treshawn Ward, was he here? Uh, Did Norvell have a hand in getting him here or was he already here? He was already here. Okay, so Mm -hmm. scratch that one. Yep. Remain Johnson, obviously Norvell got him here. Yeah. Keir Thomas, Norvell obviously got him here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that was mainly
1: because of Jamie Robinson, if you if you want to be specific. Right. Uh, coach Norvell was actually not even on Keir Thomas at one point. He actually brought in uh, Jamie Robinson, and he was like, hey, Coach, you got to check out my teammate that was with South Carolina. He's a really impressive dude. And, you know, it turned out that Mike Norvell kind of looked at more of his film and talked to Papuchis and, and Odell Hagens, and they both agreed that they need to bring him on to the program.
0: Right. So – I'll, I'll leave it at that because I know there's more, but yeah. He, he, here's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, I don't want to be saying his name right, Malik Whit um, McLean. Yeah.
1: Was yeah. that a? That was a 21 uh, commit. He was a four star. Uh, he used to well, he played at IMG for his last uh, Did high Moore school Moore season. Have hand in getting him here or was he? Yes, uh, okay. they were actually recruiting him beforehand because he was, I believe, at Daphne at one point as well. Right.
0: Okay. So you take, you take that one as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So kind of what I'm getting at, I'm not saying the whole class and I'm leaving people out. Mm-hmm. I'm just using yeah. some of the ones that have been highlighted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why is everybody so quick to jump the gun on firing coaches when the kids that are standing out the most, Jamie Robinson being one, Jermaine Johnson being another, I understand that these are transfers. Malik is not. Um, it being one that I can point to to say he's not a transfer, he was recruited. <clears throat> the guys that Norvell and staff personally wanted to bring here, for the majority, they're showing you what their players can do. The players that they want here to fit the system that they have, why do you not want to wait and see what this 2022 class is going to do why do you not want to wait and see what other guys they pull from the transfer portal if necessary? Because Jermaine, everybody knows it. Jermaine and probably Robinson and Kira Thomas—they probably could have transferred anywhere they wanted to. Something about FSU with Norvell and his staff pulled them here because they—it made them want to be here. On top of it being FSU. So with that said, why would that? Why in the hell would we pull the plug on? what we we can already see these are the type of players that they want to pull in this is what the type of players that they're pulling in do versus with some <clears throat> guys due to some guys left over from this class that class look it's it's insane to me to sit here and say pull the plug on on any of them really yeah um I think that coach norville needs to have a little bit more say in the offensive play calling I agree uh, I agree. Uh, just just based off of – he's definitely more experienced than Dillingham is. He's definitely – it's his system. Uh, Dillingham is, you know, unfortunately he is also learning a system that he is not used to. He came from Auburn. They didn't run anything close to what we're running, not my opinion. Um, so I think he needs to step up and take a little bit more of the play calling. But please pay attention to the guys that they have brought here, the ones that they wanted, the guys that they called their guys. And just base it off of what they've done. And we know for a fact, okay, fine, Mackenzie Milton athletically is not what he used to be. That's expected. Mm -hmm. But think about what he's done for JT's game. I mean, if you can't notice that JT's played a hell of a lot better this year than he has previous, then maybe you're not watching the same kid that I am. Uh, And it does not just come with age. It does come with development. Um, The COVID year, as much as he developed with it being a COVID year, Now, him getting a complete offseason, not getting guaranteed that starting position, having competition inside the room mentally, not just physically on the field, it's bettered him, period. Mackenzie Milton being in that room has bettered the QB room, period. I don't care what anybody says. It's the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, another guy that this current staff brought in, uh, not just necessarily to take over on the field, but to bring that that experience, that mind into that room. Look how much better that position played. You you brought in Cushney, which he's he's had his he's had his moments. He he really has. Uh,
1: just has, I definitely it. think he'll be more of you know because I've watched him live. I, I think he's a really good player. I think he can be something special, but I also think he kind of tempered his expectations this year. Because, um, you know, when I talked to him, he was talking about how he was going to go potentially to the NFL. He was going to get more accolades doing that. But he also understood the limitations that he had in this defense, considering that we did bring in guys like Kier Thomas and Jermaine Johnson. Maybe that after this uh, year of eligibility, he has one more left. So he's able to come in and contribute right away as a senior and be able to get his moment to shine next year. So I think he's kind of learning the system, kind of figuring out where he's at. And then going from there, and I think that's the smartest thing for him. And I think that, even though fans don't really see it that way, he's kind of in a reserve role right now, and he's kind of learning as, as he grows. Um, I definitely think that he could be somebody that Florida State can lean on as they go to next season.
0: Yeah. Um. So, so basically, what my my sh- long drawn out short message was mm-hmm. supposed was supposed to be is give these guys a little bit more time. <clears throat> Uh, I'm not saying, hey, we're going to a national title next year. That's not what I'm preaching. But what I'm preaching is, is watch the difference. I mean, pay attention to the, the things that are going to change with a whole class, whether it be a mixture of recruits and other transfer players. Again, at least you're starting to get a full team of what this current coach wants. So, so let me,
1: let me get this straight. So, Okay, so Florida State finished 94th in total defense last year. So you thought Adam Fuller needs to be fired because his defense really didn't contribute the way, you know, they thought they would. You know, it was uh, – I think they had nine or ten sacks in nine games last season, and they're up to about 25 now through nine games. So that's an improvement. Uh, you're looking at – you only had four interceptions last season. You have seven now. Uh, you had many forced fumbles. Uh, and also, your total defense this season is 66 in the country, and that's facing some elite offenses in North Carolina and Notre Dame. Is you know, even with Jack Cohen, you know, he's still a good quarterback. I, you know, they've only had one loss this season. You know, there's Clemson, even though they've struggled, they still have the talent there. You know, there, there's a lot of offenses. Wake Forest. For example, with Sam Hartman, I think that offense is really good. Louisville's another offense that's really good. I mean, there are really good offenses that Florida State has played. And even NC State, I think, as an elite quarterback with Devin Leary, and, you know, that six elite offenses that you're playing that really puts up a lot of points, and Florida State was still able to hang in that 60 to 70 range and kind of stay competitive. And you've seen that improvement through defense. And Adam Fuller even talks about how in his press conferences, how he wants to have the same members of the secondary in there together. And that's what makes everything gel. Um, So I I think that's a great thing for Florida State to go on. And I'm not saying just Adam Fuller. I think there's several different members of this uh, defense of staff that I think are improving. You know, A lot of people are talking about this offseason, how everybody needs to fire Odell Higgins because he's not doing a great job. Look at what he's doing with the defensive line that he has this season. He's literally making uh, Malcolm Ray. You know, he's got two sacks in the last two games. He's come on strong. Even though, you know, Dennis Briggs, the guy that he was very confident on, is out for the season. You know, he's brought in guys like, you know, Jared Jackson has played well and stepped up this season. There's been a couple of guys that you could really turn to and say, hey, you know, he's really done a lot with nothing.
0: Yep. Development-wise, it doesn't get much better than Odell. I'm sorry. I know too many of the players – there's too many players. The guy has been there forever for a reason. Yep. Um, if you can win over every I- – I don't think Florida State goes, well, look, we'll hire you, but you got to keep Odell Higgins on. Yep. I don't – I don't I don't see that. I see that Odell Higgins gets an opportunity to prove himself to every new coach, and I think he's been able to do so throughout three of them now. Yep. Um I don't see firing anybody makes a whole lot of sense, uh, personally. And I I damn sure don't see it. And, you know, I could
1: could see some selective assistant coaches. I don't want to name names because I don't want to throw people under the bus. But I I think you're getting the gist of who I'm talking about. But I do think that there are certain members of the staff that even though they might struggle on the recruiting trail, per se, I definitely think they are – Elite or or at least average coaches that can keep you afloat for right now until you figure out your your you know answers and consistencies and maybe some of those guys go to offensive coordinator jobs or defensive coordinator jobs or whatever the case is or head coach for example um, then you can kind of see where your staff is kind of going uh, speaking of staff uh, Walt Bell got fired uh, the other day so yeah uh, best of luck to him uh, yeah uh, don't really want to. Bring a whole segment to that, but yeah, you know, uh, wish him nothing but the best. Maybe he can be an offensive coordinator at um, you know New Mexico State or something. I
0: don't. know. I, I, mean, I can go ahead and say that it, it's it's obvious with this is why I say you don't fire right. particular coaches in this staff. Yeah. Look at the depth chart. You look at the youth. Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. The reason that you see people um, at Florida, for instance, getting fired. Uh, defensive coordinator, offensive line coach, because of the depth chart that they do have, because of the seniority or experience that they do have, because of the talent that they do have. For them to be performing the way that they're performing, that's the reason why they're getting canned.
1: Well, at least uh, Ty Grantham, the uh, defense coordinator at Florida, at least he isn't going to recruiting barbecue events this this, uh, summer and going to be eating all the ribs. So at least that will save uh, the Gators some money in recruiting.
0: It, 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 my whole thing is is I, I don't I don't wanna see the Gators do great beyond what Florida State's doing. I don't wanna see yeah. Miami do great beyond what but I want all three of these schools to get back to at least half ass of what they used to be. Uh, I don't because know if uh if Anthony Richardson keeps
1: dancing in, in his apartment and uh getting injured, uh may not be very much more of
0: Florida and being competitive. You know, my my question is, is after this, does the kid go ahead and transfer? I think so. I, would. I, I think so. Um, uh,
1: and I don't know what happens with Emory Jones. I mean, that situation, even though you had a lot of confidence in him, he's still not played that well. So, like, if – which I don't think Dan Mullen's going to get fired at the end of this year. I no. think it's going to be a situation where they allow the staff to get fired, him to kind of have that final resurrection year, and if nothing happens or nothing translates, maybe an eight-win season and you're safe – per se, but um, I just – I think there's too much there and he's too much of a good coach to kind of limit him. He could go to the NFL after next year and maybe that may be his way out of Florida, but I just don't see a situation where Florida just says, hey, we have a better option when you have all these other jobs open like LSU and and different places like that. Yeah, it's –
0: I'm getting off of Florida. I just Mm – I just – if you go and compare the two depth charts, Florida's depth chart with Florida State's depth chart, yeah, Dan Mullen's got his players there. He's been there, what four or five years, whatever it is for. Mm-hmm. He's been there long enough to get classes that are the ones that he wanted. Blah blah yeah. blah. Um, they're in a downward trend, obviously this year. Uh, Miami's obviously in a downward. Hell, I don't know how you say downward. How you get lower than they've been. They're not progressing. I don't care what anybody says. Only because they won the yeah. last games that don't mean jack. They they were favored to win the ACC this year, and, and it's Manny Diaz's job though. So yeah. So I mean, great for them, uh, whatever. But if you compare the two depth charts to Florida State's depth chart and youth, um, it's 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 uh, it's remarkable, in my opinion, what the staff's doing with what we got. Yeah. I'm not knocking players for talent. Yeah. I'm I'm no stating. There's not experience. Um, There was missing and still is missing experience, Uh, but it's not, it's not, uh, why is Florida doing better than Florida State? Why is Miami? That's not the case. The case is, is what has Florida State progressed on from last year or the year before, or even the year before that? Now, granted, I understand we were both eligible, blah, 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 God, grace to the world, but. When was that a standard for Florida State? This never has been. It was not will we be or could we be. We've been going on a downward trend for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I got a bunch of people that don't make sense saying pull the plug. Why would that just stop? And I've been saying this all year. It seems like when we win, they're the greatest. Look at us. We're building. Look at the climb. Jack diddle. Sh- whatever the They're going to say, as soon as we lose a game, we got to fire him. Look, Taggart's the only winning coach in the... Jesus, stop. I just wish
1: people would quit comparing the two and kind of realize and say, hey, we're in a process now where we're bringing in 10 transfers, 11 transfers, and half of those transfers actually worked out. This is the market that Florida State is going in. They want to get that experience with this young roster, but How do you get a young roster if all of your recruiting classes and even your veterans, you know, with the 2018-19-20 classes are hardly not even here? That's supposed to be your foundation. And where are those foundation pieces at? They're not there because Florida State has literally went through so much attrition to get where they're at. And you're expecting Florida State to just, let me just say this, shit out of their ass for, you know, just the recruits and the players that they have on the roster. And I just don't know where... You know you come from I mean Norvell has pulled a lot of transfers like like this comment has said they have really got to the transfer quarter where they have gotten these experience options and they understand the limitations of the roster but their limitations to the roster can only go so far what like what do you expect to happen I mean do you expect a, a you know a Bob Stoops to come in here and say hey you know, we're going to bring all these guys in here. Did you really think a Matt Campbell could do this, a guy that doesn't have any Florida ties? Like, What are you expecting Mike Norvell to do in his first two years at Florida State? He even told the administration when he came in, this is going to be a four- to five-year project for me to come in to get my guys to understand that this is going to be a process throughout everything to get my recruiting classes and stabilize that. That 2020 class is not even really a great class because it's a transition class. There is a reason why Chubba Purdy coming in as a four-star quarterback, he was listed as a four-star, but his best offer was basically Louisville. Yep. There is a reason because it's basically a, a, a dead class per se. Uh, I would even suggest that Tate, uh, Tate Ronamaker is probably head-to-head, at least on quarterback ver- versions of themselves because I don't think either Chubba Purdy or Rodemacher have really set themselves away in practice. And there's not really a clear cut saying, hey, this is going to be the future. I mean, I, I don't understand how you can look at this roster and say, hey, other than probably running back and, I mean, there there's some decent corners that you have in like you know, uh, Hunter Washington and Omari and Cooper, Demori Tate, hey, you know, guys like that. But they have to develop too. So you're kind of figuring out, you know, you're even bringing in guys like Patrick Payton and uh, George Wilson. They're projects, like they are literal projects. Like you look at guys like Travion Williams, has the great massive body size. You know, he decommitted from Florida State, so of course they had to figure out what to do there. But if you bring in a guy like Marvin Jones Jr., that is tremendous. That is a step above where you have in in terms of defensive ends and and what they look like in terms of Clemson and you know Florida and you know, Alabama, all these other schools that are elite and up in the nonchalant of recruiting and everything, what will happen to, like, fans whenever they understand that next season, you know, Florida State maybe a six or seven-win team. Th- this is really possible for Florida State going forward. I'm not really expecting a nine or a ten-win team next season. I'm expecting, you know, consistent improvement, and maybe they can take that step forward, but I don't think any kind of – um I guess you could say, even with the last comment about the transfer quarterback, that could transcend the program, but who do you really have on the on the market right now in the transfer portal that really brings that sense of, you know, you're going to win? I mean, D- Derek King did a good job with Miami. He did a good job with what they had, I guess you could say, last season when they had the COVID year, but yeah. they still, they still struggled and didn't win the ACC championship or even make an appearance. So I don't know how successful that was, but you could kind of see how that revolutionized their offense. And maybe Florida State finds that. They maybe thought they found that with McKenzie Milton. Of course, he's not even 50% of himself, really. And you're kind of reaping and limiting the benefits of that. And you're trying to figure out what can you do from here? Is it the transfer market? Is it just bringing in consistent recruits? But, you know, if recruits don't see m- much of the project, you know, much of the wins coming, like we haven't really seen. We've only won six games in two seasons. How will the recruits really look at this and say, hey, this is the product we want to go to? And where do you start?
0: Well, that's, that's like the, in the beginning of what you started saying when you said there is no foundation. Yep. Why, like, I think people hear hollow words or they, they hear it to be instant. Why do you think Norvell keeps saying, we're building a foundation? We're bu- not we built it, we are building a foundation. We're in the, going to what, the eighth, ninth game of the year, whatever it is. Rebuilding is hard
1: for fans to really grasp and understand that concept. Because we as Florida State fans don't really get the rebuilding process. I mean, we get the last few years of Bobby wasn't the greatest in the world. That was a struggle the early two thousands after the ninety nine championship was a little bit of a struggle as well. You could kind of see a downward trend. We picked it up a little bit. We come right back down. So we'll we'll see. I I just I think Florida State fans struggle with that word rebuild. And I know that we've gone through four years already and they're like, when is this madness going to end? But you have to start, you have to be more consistent. You have to get that stability and structure. And if you don't, you're just back at square one again.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, that's the way I am with the coach and staff, especially the head coach. If you pull the head coach to replace him, if you fire him, yeah. you literally just demolish the entire concrete slab that was just laid. And that was the beginning of it. That's the start of the foundation. So if you break that down again, now it's time to start that rebuild process over. The biggest issue is is we've had ex-coaches in the past four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what Jimbo didn't do, regardless of what Willie Taggart couldn't accomplish, regardless of what Norvell's time-wise that he's had, you're sitting at four years Like, what's going on as a fan? Understandable, I get it. But what guy have we given the opportunity to, other than Jimbo after Bobby, who have we given the opportunity to to actually build something we ha- it's, it's not there, it's yet to exist I mean it's non-existence because we haven't done it um, Jimbo Fisher was like I hear people say this too and I hate bringing up ex-coaches but if you compare Jimbo Fisher to Bobby Bowden you're fucking retarded it, <laughs> yeah. honest, you, you literally need to go to the doctor get your head CT done You've <laughs> gotta have a fucking tumor because your yeah. ass is lost um. So take that. It's it's like comparing Norvell to Coach Bowden. It's like comparing Willie Taggart to Coach Bowden. Hell, it's like comparing seventy eight percent of the staff all over the country to Coach Bobby. It's it's a joke. Uh, stop. It's, it that doesn't make sense. Um, that guy was here for seven, eight years, whatever it was. He won one national title. If people he should have
1: probably won more. Uh, oh yeah, most with definitely. The
0: talent he had. If you go back and watch, like, there, there's some documentaries about it. I can't remember where, but if you go back to when Bobby came into FSU out of West Virginia, if people would have understood what Florida State was at that time, if you want to talk about building a foundation, the ridiculous amount of work that was put in by Coach Bowden and staff Mickey Andrews being a big part of it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that built one hell of a foundation. Understand that I understand that there was a downward trend when Bowden in the late or early two thousands, late in his career, it was a downward trend down more than what we're used to. But to sit here and say that Jimbo Fisher rebuilt this program single handedly like he wasn't handed keys to at least uh, a year old Cadillac.
1: Yeah. Let me say this too. Um, You know, he was a head coach in waiting for three years. You know, yeah. He was an offense coordinator before then with Bobby. So he understood the program. He recruited these guys still. So it wasn't like this is some kind of sense of new profound kind of thing. You know, there, there are some programs that hire in-house and, you know, of course they get a little bit better because – those coaches that you're promoting have already got a grasp on the program. And with Mike Norvell and even with Willie Taggart, you didn't have that. So it's just like, yeah, it's easy to really look back and say, oh, Jimbo's done a great job, and he has. Don't get me wrong, he is a great coach. He will be forever remembered even for that one championship that he won with Jameis Winston and company. But I, just, I, I don't know how you can really even say that with a straight face.
0: Yeah, I trust me when it was said to me. It, it, me knowing who the person is too, like personally knowing who yeah. said this, which I know damn well they're watching because I see them on here. Um And I'm surprised they're not popping off saying what they said before. But there's no comparisons. Stop! It's it's an ignorant comment. It's an ignorant thought. I understand? Frustration gets the best of us, and we make stupid comments. And hell, we do real stupid shit when we get pissed off about circumstances. But. Uh, moving on away from uh, the old coaches and all yeah. that. Yeah. Um I guys, I I hate saying it like this. I really do. Did I think we had a chance to beat NC State because McKenzie was starting? Yeah. yeah. I always think we have a chance. I always think that we have a possibility of who's gonna make a play, who's gonna stand out and do whatever. Um did it happen? Obviously not. Um were my did I have more doubt? When McKenzie was starting and JT was out, mm. yes. Did yeah. I have even more doubt when I was told that there was 20, 25 players that missed practices this week? Yes. I mean, it mm-hmm. starts definitely choking down. Yeah. Um, not trying to defend myself, but my score prediction was based off of all the starters being there, JT starting, etc. My Kinda score covered. prediction
1: was also on on the assumption – because I was there under the assumption. I, I knew that he wasn't practicing on Tuesday – but I thought there was some sense of, you know, he'll be ready Friday.
0: He'll play. But yeah. he didn't. So, I mean, special teams, we asked them to stop, <clears> up, <throat> right? I yep. think, I think the punt game, I think um, that uh-huh. off kid, I think he, he could have punted better, but he punted better than he has previously, I guess. Um, yeah. We had an onside kick recovered by our kicker. Awesome. Yeah. We ain't seen that all year. Um, uh, Helton let a down punt go into the end zone. Yeah,
1: I just – you know, you're you're already in this situation where you're offensively challenged. You know, you, you talk about how Mackenzie Milton was coming into that game, and Jordan Travis was expected to be the starter if he was healthy and it was, was away from the flu and you had a couple of those symptoms go away. But Florida State was two for 16 on third downs. Like two for 16. They had 19 offensive possessions, and they only scored on two of those. Like, offensively, what can you do? Like, I mean, they were two for four on third downs. You 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 know, everybody complains about that fourth and four that they had, and Chris alluded to it a little bit earlier on, you know, when FSU was on their 43, and they were trailing by seven with about eight minutes left to go in the the, uh, fourth quarter. But, you know, you look at different different uh, perspectives they had in the game. You know, on their third offensive possession, they had a fourth and one. They punted it, you know, and then you turn around and have a fifth offensive possession. You know, they were punting it again, you know, and it resulted in a touchdown drive for NC State. You know, you turn around go to the next offensive possession. They punted the ball on fourth and one again on their own 17. So, you know, there were situations where you didn't really know what was going on. You know, you turn around and have that, uh, you know, I think it was a six. I think six offensive possessions they had in the first half, and there was a situation where Florida State couldn't get the ball rolling. You know, they come out and had that onside kick, and you were really hoping that Florida State would really boost the momentum there. They scored, thankfully. Uh, you know, it was a tough drive there to uh, kind of get where they needed to come out at, and you know, they they were also kind of faced with what they had in, in situations, and you really didn't know what to do in that situation. Um, you know, they had that fourth and one with Jay Sean Corbin on the Wildcat that everybody hates, but apparently it worked out. Um, you know, there's just different situations. You know, there was a about the early part of the uh, fourth quarter, they were faced with the fourth and one on the 35, and they elected to punt. You know, then this was where Keir Thomas really kind of basically dominated the line of scrimmage. He you know, he had that sack, and he turned around and on the next play. He basically jumped the snap, and they had a holding call, basically declined the penalty there. So there was a situation where you thought, for example, right there, that Keir Thomas was basically going to single-handedly destroy that NC State team. But, you know, like you talked about, the punting game for NC State, I, I can't even remember the kid's name. I think it was Gill. I think is what his last name was, was absolutely killing it for NC State. And there was no momentum whatsoever for NC State to kind of get anything going. You know, just just in terms of Florida State, you know, our punt return game is terrible this season. Uh, Keyshawn Hilton has done a awful job. Uh, Ontario Wilson's done an awful job. Uh, Trey John Ward's done an awful job. Uh, Travis Shea, I could say, does an awful job, but all he does is fair catch the ball, so I really don't know. Um, they have pinned Florida State inside the, the three or four-yard line about three times during the game. And there are situations where, you know, you talk about after they had that Cure Thomas where he just completely dominated, Florida State started their offensive possession at the FSU one. You know, you you talk about how, you know, he was pinning people deep. Florida State comes out and they pass it to Ja'Sean Corbin, gets a 10 or a 15-yard gain. A defensive pass interference comes when Keyshawn Helton doesn't fight for the football because, uh, you know, that's what Florida State's done in this game. They can't get separation, so – they're not really fighting for the ball whenever the ball is coming, uh, even though it's not very coming very fast. Uh, there's just situations where Florida State, you know, after uh, I think Mackenzie Milton threw like a six- or seven-yard pass to Trayshaun Ward, or it was a six-yard pass. Um, he didn't really get anything going on his next two pass attempts. And Florida State's faced with a fourth and four with eight minutes left. You're, you're looking at that fourth and four that everybody talks about from the 43. And, Right at that moment, Florida State is one for two on, you know, just fourth down conversions at at the game right there, and he has an incomplete pass. You know, it was a bad play call, but I get where he's coming from, especially with that turnover on downs. You're looking at possibly, you know, you're getting to a situation where Florida State, you know, you're having more confidence in the defense, but... You know, we come out on that defensive possession. We get them to third and 10. You know, Florida State does a really good job of making sure that the defense doesn't go anywhere or the offense doesn't go anywhere for NC State. Devin Leary gets it on the 43 with, you know, third and 10. I think it's like six minutes left. And he throws a screen pass to their running back. And Jerry and Jones misses a tackle at the line of scrimmage. And it is an absolute killer. I mean, this is a situation where Florida State cannot have that moment where Jerry and Jones misses a tackle and it's a backbreaker. I mean, this team is just devastated after a 14 point deficit at that point. And you really look at it then as like, what if Florida State, you know, was it really the right call in that situation? And I think it was. You know, you're faced with a shorthanded roster that has Mackenzie Milton at quarterback, that has, you know, Babyon Johnson out, Dylan Gibbons, you have different guys that that aren't playing. Uh, and you're looking at a lot of guys that are having to go through full light symptoms. Uh, I think even Lawrence Philly was the other guy I was thinking about that wasn't playing. And, um, you know, they only scored on two of their 10 offensive possessions in the game. They weren't really getting anything offensively going. And you look at a drive that I just talked about, how they started at the one-yard line. They got all the way to the 43-yard line and went for it on fourth and, fourth and four. You know, What was Florida State really going to do in that situation? They already got out of the one-yard line. They already erased and accomplished that feat of getting out of their own end zone. They were generating some kind of momentum that they haven't done all game. And this is a situation where you're wanting Florida State to be aggressive and take advantage of something that you haven't really gotten the whole game. You haven't got out of your own 20-yard line but, like, three times in the game. I don't even think you crossed midfield, but, like, I think you didn't cross midfield but once in the first I don't even think you crossed midfield at the first half. I honestly don't, because uh, six offensive possessions you didn't score. So you come out trying to do an onside kick, and you got that because you only had to go 35 yards after that point.
0: It, it shows how many times you didn't cross midfield because we didn't. Yeah. I mean, how many field goal attempts do we have?
1: Yeah. yeah, and it's just it, – it's crazy because, I mean, like, during that, you know, you, you look at, you know, the offense picked up a first down. They had that 10-yard penalty. That it, you know, if we punted it back to – Basically, NC State, Mastromano had an average yard of, I think it was 44.9, which would pin them to their own 13. So with 8.07 left to go in the game, what are you expecting NC State to do? I mean, if if they would have gotten two first downs, they punted the football back to us, you know, and then we struggle on punt returns, you know, Gil could have pinned us back, back to the 20 with less time on that. So you're looking at, you know, about four minutes left to go in the game. And you're putting pressure on an offense that isn't able to get anything going. They have limited playmakers. They have a quarterback that can't throw with any kind of velocity downfield. And you can't have receivers that can't create separation. So it's like, what do you do in that situation? And what are you expecting? I mean, Florida State's in a good position. They're at fourth and four. They thought they had a good play call. I disagree with the play call. I think they should have went with a different set of play calls there to to get better um and maybe get in a better situation than that but i do think that florida state in that situation should have went with there they had faith in their defense of course that defense didn't pan out because you know jerry and jones missed tackle and it resulted in 43 yard touchdown but you know there was there was a moment there where you're looking at 21 to 14 you have a limited roster and you're down one possession with eight minutes left to a, a number 19 team like, what else do you want in that situation as a fan base? You are literally limited in what you can do offensively and defensively. And, you know, I understand, what, like Lawrence was talking about there, maybe a screen pass on, on, on second or third down, maybe that would, you know, get you better in a better situation and get into that situation where you can be able to get a first down or even get a fourth and one and go for maybe a wildcat or something like that. Uh, to where it's a better situation for you. Fourth and four is not even really a, a great cup of tea for this offense, but it's manageable. At least it's not fourth and 13 that you're having to go through all that. Now, I mean, this is the best-case scenario. I mean, four to st- Mike Norvell is confident in what he can do, and he's really setting a message to say, hey, this is what I want to do on fourth down. This is the kind of message I want to send to my team. And even though it doesn't work out right now because we talk about, you know, lose big, lose small, win small, win big, you know, we're, we're at that lose small situation and we're trying to get to that win small situation. And the only way you can do that is take chances. You have a roster that's limited. You have a roster that's going through flu and you don't really know what to do. This is a situation where Mike Norvell is saying, you know what, McKenzie, this offense has not really been moving all game. Let's try to get something momentum-wise going forward and we know that our defense can get a stop because Keir Thomas just dominated that line of scrimmage. What can we do next in the offensive, offensive possession? And if we don't get it, I know our defense can go through. Of course, Jerry and Jones didn't make the tackle, so that, that makes it look a whole lot worse, and you're looking as a fan base and saying, hey, if Jerry and Jones would have made that tackle, what would that call look like now? because NC State probably wasn't going to kick a field goal in that position. They would have probably just done the same thing where they would have done a delay of game and they would have took it back five yards. It would have been on the 48-yard line. They would have punted it deep. Hopefully you get a touchback in that situation. Or you get pinned deep again in that same situation. And you just
0: struggled to get out of it the first time.
1: Yes, and I don't understand how many fans are going to criticize that Fourth down call, even though Mike Norvell's went for it four times in this game, they criticized that one fourth down conversion, or I guess misconversion, on that one play that messed up the whole entire game. That is the backbreaker to Florida State fans, and I do not get it. That is that is just, it drives me insane, and it's like as many stats as I can pull up in terms of, of when to go for it, when probability, the. The amount of win probability that he would have if we punted that football away, what would we do in that situation? It would just be another backbreaker where NC State would just run six minutes off the clock, and that would be it.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Uh, guys, I think uh, we pretty much gave all yeah. we're going to give on the NC State game. Yep. Uh, if I had anything to disagree with Taylor on, I would put my two cents in. but I agree. Uh, Gosh.
1: I uh, that is just my soapbox. Like, I cannot. Like, it, no, I, I have heard it so much. Like, And I know you probably heard it, too, on your uh, Facebook group as well. It is the same thing every single week. You want this staff to be confident, but you can't even be confident. You know, even the staff talks about the wildcat runs. They don't even run those anymore, you know, past that. You know, they were successful doing it, you know, this week with the one-yard touchdown, like you said, or three-yard touchdown. Um, and you're trying to figure out different ways to be creative in this offense when they're so limited. Like, I, I don't – I can't stress this enough. Florida State is limited in what they can do. They are not a good football team. They are an average to slightly below average football team. They are right there where you expect them to be, and you're hoping that year three of Mike Norvell or year two, I guess you could say, is going to be
0: better. Yeah, and it will be. In my opinion. We stick- I do, see. We'll keep half of the recruits we got, and God only knows what they'll pull in the transfer portal. Yep. But moving on, we're going to kick Miami's ass this week. It's going to happen. I don't care if it's by a point, damn it, we're going to win. So we got too many people there. It's too much to show off. A lot of the starters wasn't really out per se for last week, but there was limitations on people still dealing with flu symptoms, blah, blah, blah. I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you. If you couldn't tell that our center was struggling on the snaps from coming off of being sick, um, then maybe you were not watching the same guy I was. He's the best center we
1: got. And, yeah. and probably our only center, well, I guess we got Darius Washington, so I guess that counts. He's yeah. done well this season. He's probably been our best, most consistent
0: offensive lineman this season. Yeah. Uh, you, but you know what I mean. Like that's our yes. start. Also, uh, yeah, 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 He's had the least amount of problems, done pretty well. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we to beat Miami, you have to control time and position. Yeah, have no choice in the matter. You have to make long drives, and they got to score because Miami, with their pass threat, you throw in our DBs that are struggling ish yeah, they can score quick. Uh, so, therefore, you got to keep the ball out of their hands as much as possible. Uh, you get one turnover in this game. It's potentially the, the only thing that you need to seal the game. Um, <clears throat> now, that goes the other way. We can't be turning the ball over. We can't have hump hundred penalties, uh, which we did. I don't know how you have penalties with here at 4th and 30 already last week. But still, um, yeah. You play a clean game, you run the ball down their throat, you control the time of possession, you come out winning that game. Uh, We need to beat Miami because I don't want to hear no more Miami shit. I don't want to hear another Miami fan. I don't want to hear that the U's back. If the U's back, I don't want to see them when they're gone because they're garbage still to this day. Um, While they're all high and up and roaring on what they've done the past three games, I don't know. You, You act like you've absolutely killed it. You haven't. Sorry. You've done nothing. You're T. What do they call him? TV. Some shit. Man, get the hell yeah, out yeah. of that. We're going to put TVD on his ass. A.S.S. is what we're going to do. Um, I hope Kira Thomas and Jamie Johnson whoop that yeah. kid's ass all game yeah. long. I uh, hope Coop hits him with his big ass at least once, even if it ain't a sack. Crush the little bastard and be done with it. Um uh-huh. 90% of the team in Miami are cockroaches, and we need to go out there and step on them, make sure they know who, whether it be daddy, big brother, whatever the hell you want to call it. They all talk about their national titles. I'm sorry, I do not count AP fucking national titles. I never have, I never will. You ain't got a fucking national title one. This guy commented on our Instagram, said, Count count the rings or something like that. I said, who the hell gets rings for national titles anymore? Like, what the hell are you talking about? That's how old this shit is. So, your national titles—what three of them out of the five were tied for another national title? Come on, dude, yeah. that's not a national title. You didn't even play. <clears throat> you didn't even play somebody to contend to say who won or who's the better team out of the two. I guarantee you, five out of five, Miami wasn't the better team. Um. Miami has zero a big ass goose. well, they got two thousand and one. Other than two thousand and one, you got a goose egg, you got no national titles, you've been irrelevant for fucking twenty five years, you have zero ACC titles, you are a absolute laughing stock of college football because you don't even have your own fucking stadium. You fly or drive forty five minutes to Hard Rock because you have no stadium. Your coach looks like a crackhead. Um and that's any of them. Just point one out. Um, you catch Mike Diaz over on the strip. I'm sure he's picking up somebody. Hooker-wise. I don't know. Don't care. I hope you keep him. I hope you keep the entire staff. I hope you keep recruiting the exact same way that you are. Because if you've looked at your recruiting ranking this year, and y'all are supposedly a better team than we are, um, what in the hell's wrong with your 2022 class? Because I don't even know if y'all are even on the board anymore at this point. Um the two commits that you had that were worth something have left. Uh, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're talking shit to Florida State fans or Gator fans. Y'all didn't even play them this year. I was hoping you got your asses beat by two Florida teams this year, but that's not going to happen because y'all are scared to play them every year. This goes back to the Gators as well. Y'all are chicken shits too. Y'all don't play Miami every year. We play both your pansy asses both years every year since 1988, if I'm not mistaken. So, if everybody wants to keep talking about who's the dominant and who's not scared, we've been dominating y'all's asses for 20-plus years. You've gotten ACC after us. You've done shit since. You've done shit before that. You're going to continue to do exact that shit. You're not going to do nothing. So, that's all of the Miami people that's been talking shit to me this week. And I can see that four of the six that said something to me are watching. So, I'm surprised they really do respect me though because they don't hit my they don't hit the comments like I thought they would, especially after that rant. But go ahead. Why are we going to not lose to Miami? The garbage dumpster fire hunk of dog manure that's sitting over there. Why are we not going to lose? Well, I will say you know they do have some dangerous weapons. So of course you
1: talked about Tyler Van Dyke, TBD. I guess what they want to call it there. there. Whatever, whatever. The case is, you know, they they have Jalen Knighton at running back. It's pretty special talent. You know, Florida State recruited him at one time. Very talented. They don't have Cameron Harris anymore because he is out for the season. Charleston Rambo is a very very dynamic receiver. Florida State is gonna have to watch out for that. And you talked about it before. They have very, uh, I guess you could say, inconsistent cornerback play uh, and inconsistent secondary play. Other than Jamie Robinson. Um, and probably Kevin Knowles and Jarvis Bramley has his days. Uh, and Jones has struggled. Um, So there's some different uh, situations there that Florida State's going to have to get uh, released there. Akeem Dent has some struggles as well. He got pancake blocked a couple of times against the NC State, uh, missed a couple of tackles. So we'll see how he kind of responds there. But, you know, we talk about Rambo. He had 23 receptions, 438 yards, and three touchdowns in their last three-game winning streak. So that is a very scary sight to look at to really think that Florida State is going to have to defend that. They may have to put some blanketed coverage on him as well, uh, kind of limit the big plays. Because let's just face it, Florida State had, I think it was six plays of 20 20 yards or more allowed with NC State. So that's something you can't have against Miami. You cannot let them have momentum going into Doe Campbell Stadium and having that sense of – Okay, we have a chance in this one. We're we're going to be a uh, bowl eligible team at the end of this uh, game, and you cannot let Miami have that sense of confidence going in, especially with their limited roster as well. And you know, Vegas has I think Florida State as a two and a half point underdog. I believe it's something close to that stimulants. And like I said before, Miami is you know won or lost by a combined thirteen points in their last five games. So this isn't a team that's going to blow somebody out. So if you're expecting a 52-10 game, you have been mistaken because this Miami team is not that good. Uh, but I will say this Miami team is improved, so I will give them credit where it's due. Uh, we're not going to be playing in Miami's rented-out stadium, so we're not going to have to worry about the loud crowd noise uh, or you know the lack thereof uh, You know because – Doug Campbell Stadium is going to be rocking. I, I definitely think that there's going to be a situation where maybe Florida State pulls about 65 to 70. Maybe I don't know if it's going to be a full sold-out crowd, just because of the sense of where Florida State is as the program right now. It's sold out, buddy. It is okay. Well, I'm definitely going to say that there's going to be a situation where Florida State's going to have to feed off the crowd noise. They're going to have to feed off a sense of you know where Miami is. Uh, will this offense stay the same as it was before, or will it kind of spiral down? Uh, will Jordan Travis get back to his conditioning and get back to his sense of being himself? Will the running backs get back to themselves? Because we haven't seen that in the last two games. Uh, so we're going to have to see. Will the wide receivers create separation? Don't know. You know, linebackers, will they come back? Will Emmett Rice be able to come back and play in this game? We'll see. I definitely think that there is going to be a sense of, of a power struggle between both teams to kind of figure out, okay, their weakness is being able to uh, get these missed tackles. And Miami misses a lot, and I mean a lot of tackles. And this could be a situation where Florida State's running back. They are back, happy too. They are yes. easy to the And that's the thing too is like Corbin has not really played his best game and you've seen Warren, how he has been limited and, you know, he's not really played the best either. If those guys break off a long run – This momentum for Florida State can go a very, very long way. And you can see a lot of 60, 70-yard touchdowns that could go our way. Don't know necessarily if it's going to be receiving-wise because, like I said, I'm I'm kind of nervous to say that Florida State's receivers can really generate that much of a separation. But I will say that Bubba uh, Bolden, the safety from Miami, is going to be out for the season. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson, I also think, is going to be out for the season potentially. He may be out for this game. We'll definitely see how that plays out if if that situation goes. But he is the transfer from Georgia, the cornerback that they have. So he is another member of the secondary that could be down that they might be able to think about. Miami doesn't generate a whole lot of sacks. I think they only have like 23 or 22 sacks on the season. So that's like 2.2 per game. So they shouldn't generate so much of a pressure on our offensive line. I definitely think the, the thing is going to come down to winning one-on-one battles. Uh, third down conversions, running the football effectively, winning the time of possession, and I definitely think you have to figure out a way to stop Charleston Rambo. And I think that is the the five key. Definitely think that I'll go ahead and put out my score prediction, but I definitely think that Florida State will win this game. Ugly, grinded-out game in the beginning. I think Florida State's going to have to kind of get to their high horses to see where they are as a program. I think they may have to spring together a couple of good plays, maybe even a big run here or there to kind of figure out where they are.
0: Did you actually give the score prediction? What was that? Did you actually say the points, the actual score prediction? Yeah. Did you hear it or did you not hear it? No. Oh,
1: okay. I said twenty 24 to 20 is my score prediction. I think Florida State's going to have to get some some big momentum runs. They're going to have to get maybe uh, chunk play here and there. It's going to have to come receiving-wise, too. So that's going to be a situation where that's going to happen. Lawrence actually asked about the Jennings linebacker, uh, Bradley Jennings. He actually entered the transfer portal, so he will not be there at the game. He is actually entering the transfer portal. So he is a situation where Florida State recruited his brother, Brandon Jennings that is at Maryland, but they did not really recruit Bradley as much as per se. So I don't think Florida State is going to be recruiting him in any sort of fashion. They could, I mean, they they might reach out, but I don't think he's a high priority transfer target at this time. But personally, I think this is going to be a good game for Florida State. Good gauge to see where they're at. I just really hope that Miami doesn't get the eligible off this game. I can't envision it to happen. And I really don't want to think about it to happen because that means Florida State's sitting at three and seven, and you're trying to figure out, man, are you going to wake up to that 11 o'clock noon game against Boston College and really play a competitive game? I don't think so. So that's going to be a situation where Florida State's got to stay focused. They have to understand what's at stake and hopefully get to that five and six range and you're playing for bowl eligibility against
0: Florida. I think that both defenses are – either not talented enough or limited enough that it will be a higher scoring game than 24 to 20. Is that what you said? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. All
0: right. I can see that scenario, why it would work. I'm hoping not to get that scenario, though, Um, just because I don't want it to be boring. And I don't want to see a lot of mistakes in the excitement. Yeah. I think that FSU's defense has improved enough, even in the secondary, to not allow as many of those plays as they've, been getting um, – you shut down that one receiver. Again, if you can shut down Sam Howe and the receiver that he had, you can shut down T.V. Dixie, jacks or whatever. it is. You can shut his ass down and whoever this other kid is, whatever. You can shut it down. I give them 17 points. That's what I think they'll score. I think Florida State's going to run the ball so efficiently with the three that we have. I think that actually Wilson – the tight end will actually have the best game of his career here. Oh, he, wow. The, okay. reason, the reason I say this is because they're not massively sized linebackers uh, at Miami, and they're not that fast. Hmm. They're fast, but they're not that fast. So yeah. I see Wilson getting open. He's had two decent outings the past two games. Didn't do like highlight this or nothing, but he got open. He has separation. And it seems like JT likes him. It seems like JT likes McDonald. Now, regardless of which one gets the hot end, I see a tight end having a good game, Uh, maybe a 60- or 70-yard type reception game. That's what I call a good game. Um, I also see Jordan Travis as long as he's healthy. I see him running all the flapjack over him. I just really do. I see the kid's going to take off. He's pissed because he was out last week. He takes that anger and puts it into this week, especially against a rival Miami. And they've been talking enough shit to him that we'll see. But I give it Florida State, and y'all can think I'm crazy, but I'm giving us 34-17. to I think we kick their ass. I I mean, I
1: think that could be a situation where that could happen. Don't get me wrong. I think there could be a situation where – you know, there, we didn't really have many penalties against NC State. We only had two. So we didn't really have those self inflicting penalties. And I think there could be a situation where Florida State gets a little bit too high of itself. They get a little too emotional at times, and I don't think this team has what it takes emotionally to get past that, uh, especially a huge rivalry game. You have a chance. You have the crowd behind you. You know, there's a lot of emotions going into this game, and you're hoping that you don't have a lot of late hits out of bounds or You know false start penalties that you're just ready to hit somebody. You know whatever the case is, I just don't know if Florida State has that in them to stay disciplined early on. And I think it's going to have to be a coaching matter to get them through the first half. And maybe this is where this game kind of turns into more of a low-scoring affair more than most people would like to like to think in this one.
0: Well, have you have you noticed though the games that we that we have the least amount of penalties, the ones where Mm -hmm. we look. discipline are the ones that we run the ball like over and over and over and then and obviously we're not running the ball with halfback draw or we're talking you know we're not doing a sweep every there are definitely and i'm not gonna lie i love our run game play calls especially when jt's back there that rpo with him is absolutely amazing that's why i think with bringing him back, he's going to be pissed because he didn't play last week. <laughs> running backs are hearing what you're saying because thousands and thousands, if not a, at least a couple hundred thousand people said, where the hell are the running backs for Florida State for the past two weeks? They're hearing it. The
1: coaches are saying it. I will say that they have played two top ten rush defenses in the country, so that's no slouch at all to yeah. what so NC you State and are. You
0: didn't say it before. That's what I was just about to bring yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tweeted about it. I said NC State – Averagely or average, allowed 108 rushing yards mm-hmm. on every game. That's an average. Yeah. That's that's dominant, especially in college football, to stop yes. only allow 108 rushing yards. Down, and the the teams that they've played this year, that's saying something. Hell, um, playing us and only allowing whatever the hell we did, 59 yards, whatever it was.
1: Yeah, the one thing I worry about though too is you know there have been situations, even in the Wake Forest loss that we had you know, we we started running the ball early and then we got away from it. And I I hope that we don't get in a situation where we get away from it and there's kind of a sense of, oh, well, you know, it's not really going good early on. And you're always hoping that when Florida State does those running opportunities early in the game, that they're setting up something for later in the game. And you're hoping that they can keep that momentum going against Miami, a team that doesn't tackle well. Maybe you can turn a two-yard gain You know, because Treshawn Ward has been kind of that guy this season that can turn a two-yard gain into possibly a five- or six-yard gain. With Miami, my God, you turn a two-yard gain into a 25-yard gain at this point. So you're hoping that Florida State can generate some kind of momentum rushing the ball, and you're hoping that Dillingham and Norvell doesn't give up early on the run, and you're hoping that they don't really get into a situation where Travis is passing the ball on third and eight. Maybe you get into a situation where they run the ball two straight times, they get it to about a third and three situation, and then you figure out if you want to do an RPO like you talked about or maybe a read option, you know, running up the middle. You have a lot of options that you can do in that situation. Play action pass to tight end. Play action pass to the yeah. tight end. Over. I'm just, like, I'm like,
0: yeah, it's crazy.
1: That. And the second <laughs> half of that defense is not very good. So it's
0: just like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But. That's why I'm saying that like, this is your opportunity to take advantage of every opportunity. Like, this is You're not playing against a great defense by no means. Mm-mm. You don't want to get into a, a shootout pass game with Miami with the wide receiver and quarterback connections yeah. they have right now. That's why you have to slow the game down to running the ball keeping their defense tired where it makes it easier and easier for you to score. You're steadily running the ball down the throat. They're steadily getting tired. Maybe they do score on you the first half. Maybe it's, you know, tit for tat. Maybe it's 17, 20 is kind of in the ha- at halftime. I can see that.
1: Yeah.
0: But if you wear their asses out, like you could, if y'all do what you're supposed to, that's where I see you getting the other 20 or 17 more points, whatever, whatever I put them at. But, this, it's, our offense is gauged. It's hard to say this because I haven't said it all year, but this is your game to do what you do best. Like, it's it's like literally set out on a platter. Go do what you do best because yeah. they can't stop it. The only way that they're going to stop is if you stop yourself.
1: Yeah, they're an aggressive defense. You know, they run like this bear type defense. Uh, sometimes they'll run an aggressive 4-3. A lot of times they bring a lot of stunts. A lot of times, and you saw this uh, last year when we played them as well. They bring a lot of pressure, and that's where a lot of their missed tackles come from. So, if you're able to kind of sway away from that line of defense early on, and they're not really able to convert for those tackles for loss, and you're not putting uh, Jordan Travis in a you know third and twelve or a third and eleven, you're kind of figuring out what you got to do from that situation and figure out okay, well, this is what we can exploit. Maybe they're being a little too aggressive. Maybe we can talk about those wide receiver screens that we really like. Maybe we can get our perimeter players out in space, even though they might not be able to create separation. Spread them out. What can they do? You know, you talk about a guy like Jordan Wilson. If he's able to block on the perimeter side of the field, you know, Miami's defenders are not very good at getting off screens, and they're not good at making tackles either. So if you get them in a one on one situation, you gotta make this tackle or it's an 80 yard touchdown. What will they do in that situation? And you listen, the FBI
0: on that is uh not too good on Miami.
1: No, and I, I don't think this is a situation where Kenny Dillingham looks at this and says, This defense is unbeatable, you can't do anything, we can't create separation. This is a defense they're they're gonna be looking their chops on. I just don't know. I don't know how you can really get to a situation where you say, This Miami defense is elite, we can't do anything about it. I I get – I highlighted Rambo. I think he's a tremendous wide receiver for them. I think their offense can move the ball. But I don't – if you blanket him, what else do they have? Like, they have a lot of injuries themselves. So, it's like their offensive line is not world beaters. They're allowing the same amount of sacks as we do per game, same amount of tackles for loss. We're literally identical to their offensive line. And their offensive line was supposed to be great and one of the best in the ACC, like they always are every year. But – They underperformed, and now you're seeing kind of the results. You know, our underperformance in certain games with our offensive line is just because we don't have the capable bodies available. You know, theirs is simply they're not living up to their potential. And you kind of have to figure out what you got to do. I mean, they're missing a lot of pieces on their defensive side of the ball, and they're, you know, they're kind of figuring out everything. And you talk about a guy like Lawrence was talking about with Parchment. You know, this is a situation where Parchman has to step up in this game. Malik McLean, like you talked about, has to step up. There's got to be people to step up other than just Keyshawn Helton going for a 40-yard touchdown pass. There's got to be other guys to step up. I, I get that Tokyo Wilson didn't really have his best game last week, and we have to kind of figure out and get him back in the offense and the group of things. But Parchman has got to step up. This has got to be the moment for him to step up and say, you know what, I haven't done much of anything offseason. I think I've had like 216 yards this season and like two touchdowns. This is not wide receiver one numbers, but guess what? I'm going to put it up against Miami because this is the game that we needed. This is the turnaround that we need to have for the last three games, and this is what we have to do going forward. I think that is the best way you can do is tell your guys, you know what? We haven't consistently made separation this whole season. But guess what we're going to do against a bad Miami defense that does not generate any kind of scare in your offense? Run the ball effectively, open up the pass on RPOs, and get your wide receivers open in space. That's all I ask. If we lose by a nail-biter or if we lose just in general, we're not going to get blown out because we effectively run the ball and we effectively get our playmakers in space. It'll be a close game if that's the point. This team will not get blown out in this game, and I will guarantee that.
0: I like it. Everybody, his score prediction, he'll obviously post something on his Instagram. Of course. I'm sure that mine will be posted very shortly, if it hasn't already been. (laughs) My wife's pretty quick. She does things pretty good. I love that woman. Anyways, um, I appreciate everybody coming on here and listening to us. Uh, Again, all the recruits, all the families that are coming, I hope I see you there. Don't know that I will. Don't know that I won't. Can't tell you one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and I was also going to make something on that as well. Um, I'm going to be releasing a list of expected visitors, and we can also talk about that as well if you want to collaborate on that as well. Um, I'm going to have that possibly on Thursday night, Friday morning, maybe maybe a Friday post. I may, I may try to do it. And kind of anticipate all of the people that we're going to have on campus or a close amount because there's going to be a lot of guys that go un- unnoticed. So what I'm going to do is compile a list of, of people that I have. May put it in like a Word document or something and kind of translate it to post format and go from there. I also do my score prediction on Friday as well. Um, but y'all got a sneak peek of what's going to happen. I definitely think Florida State is going to win this ball game. I think they can only do – it is win this ballgame. I I think the momentum is all the way there for Florida State. crowd is definitely going to be there. So, um, I'll definitely see you there, Chris. Um, Regardless, I'm going to be there a little bit earlier. So, um, it helps that it's not a noon game. Thank God. Um, And I hate that it's not a night game, but I guess 2.30 is better than
0: nothing. So, Yeah, y'all, if you're there, try to hit me up. If I'm there, I should be there. You just never know what happens with me. I was supposed to be at the NC State game. didn't <laughs> happen. I was supposed to be at uh, the North Carolina game. That didn't happen. Um, but all in all, I've had a great experience this year. At, I've been at the majority of the games. Um, I'm going to the gosh-awful swamp. I'm not going to miss that one. Yeah, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, you're going to ride down. Um, anyway, I'm not going to Boston College. too damn cold. Yeah. Florida, the, like, no. It's, it, look, I like the I live in the Sunshine State for a reason. It's not because I want to go see the north. I already dread going back for holidays, and Memphis is not considered the north, but that's cold enough. Um, everybody, I appreciate y'all coming on. Uh, I'm sorry about my – no, I'm not. I'm not sorry about my random Miami. I hate Miami. That's the little brother that you hate because he's not blood related. He was brought in on a different marriage and he's a little shit. Try to take your room and all that stuff and he don't deserve it. So you actually, I don't even know what that movie is, but you Macaulay caulking his ass. Get rid of him. Um, Y'all have a good one. And go, Knowles and Taylor. I'll talk to you later. I'm going to go to sleep now. Oh, yeah. Go, Knowles, everybody.